0: Welcome to the Doctrine of Justification by Faith through the Imputation of the Righteousness of Christ Explained, Confirmed, and Vindicated by Dr. John Owen We will be continuing to read from page 129 for this reading This Reformation audio resource is a production of Still Waters Revival Books Many free resources as well as our complete mail order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books CDs, and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the Doctrine of Justification by Faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ, for He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father, but by Him. John 14, verse 6. Chapter 7. Imputation and the nature of it with the imputation of the righteousness of Christ in particular. Imputation and the nature of it. The first and express record of justification determined it to be by imputation. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. Reasons of it. The doctrine of imputation cleared by Paul. The occasion of it. Maligned and opposed by many. Weight of the doctrine concerning imputation of righteousness on all hands acknowledged. Judgment of the Reformed churches herein, particularly of the Church of England. By whom opposed, and on what grounds. Signification of the word. Difference between reputoire and imputoir. Imputation of two kinds. Number one, of what was ours antecedently unto that imputation, whether good or evil. Instances of both kinds. Nature of this imputation, the thing imputed by it, imputed for what it is, and nothing else. Number two, of what is ours antecedently unto that imputation, but is made so by it. General nature of this imputation, not judging of others, to have done what they have not done. Several distinct grounds and reasons of this imputation. Number one, ex justia. Parentheses number one, propter relationum federalum. Parentheses number two, propter relationum naturalum. Number two, ex voluntaria sponsion. Instances, Philemon 18, Genesis, chapter 43, verse 9. Voluntary, sponsion, the ground of the imputation of sin to Christ. Number 3. Ex injuria, 1 Kings, chapter 1, verse 21. Number 4. Ex mora Gratia Romans, chapter 4. Difference between the imputation of any works of ours and of the righteousness of God. Imputation of inerrant righteousness is ex justitia, inconsistency of it with that which is ex gratia. Romans chapter 11 verse 6. Agreement of both kinds of the imputation. The true nature of the imputation of the righteousness unto justification explained. Imputation of the righteousness of Christ. The thing itself imputed, not the effect of it proved against the Socinians. The first express record of the justification of any sinner is of Abraham. Others were justified before him from the beginning, and there is that affirmed of them which sufficiently evidences them so to have been. But this prerogative was reserved for the Father of the faithful, that his justification, and the express way and manner of it, should be first entered on the sacred record. So it is, Genesis 15, verse 6. He believed in the Lord, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Non-English word. It was accounted unto him, or imputed unto him for righteousness. Elagisthe. It was counted, reckoned, imputed. And it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed unto him, but for us also unto whom it shall be imputed if we believe. Romans chapter 4 verse 23 and 24 Wherefore, the first expressed declaration of the nature of justification in the scripture affirms it to be by imputation, the imputation of someone unto righteousness. And this is done in that place and instance, which is recorded on purpose as the precedent and example of all those that shall be justified. As he was justified, so are we, and no otherwise. Under the New Testament, there was a necessity of a more full and clear declaration of the doctrine of it. For it is among the first and most principal parts of that heavenly mystery of truth, which was to be brought to light by the gospel. And, besides, there was from the first a strong and dangerous opposition made unto it. For this manner of justification the doctrine of it, and what necessarily belongs thereunto, was that whereon the Jewish church broke off from God, refused Christ and the gospel, perishing in their sins, as is expressly declared. Romans chapter 9, verse 31, chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. And, in like manner, a dislike of it, an opposition unto it, ever was and ever will be, a principle and cause, of the apostasy of any professing church from Christ and the gospel that falls under the power and deceit of them, as it fell out afterwards in the churches of the Galatians. But in this state, the doctrine of justification was fully declared, stated, and vindicated by the Apostle Paul in a peculiar manner. And he does it especially by affirming and proving that we have the righteousness whereby and wherewith we are justified by imputation or that our justification consists in the non-imputation of sin and the imputation of righteousness. But yet, although the first recorded instance of justification, and which was so recorded that it might be an example and represent the justification of all that should be justified unto the end of the world, is expressed by the imputation and righteousness imputed, and the doctrine of it, in that great case wherein the eternal welfare of the church of the Jews or their ruin was concerned is so expressed by the apostle. Yet is it so fallen out in our days that nothing in religion is more maligned, more reproached, more despised than the imputation of righteousness unto us or an imputed righteousness. A putative in righteousness the shadow of a dream, a fancy, a murmuring, an imagination, say some among us. An opinion, non-English words, says Socinius, And opposition arises unto it every day from great variety of principles. For those by whom it is opposed and rejected can by no means agree what to set up in the place of it. However, the weight and importance of this doctrine is on all hands acknowledged whether it be true or false. It is not a dispute about notions, terms, and speculations, wherein Christian practice is little or not at all concerned, of which nature many are needlessly contended about, but such as has an immediate influence unto our whole present duty with our eternal welfare or ruin. Those by whom this imputation of righteousness is rejected do affirm that the faith of the doctrine of it do overthrow the necessity of the gospel obedience of personal righteousness and good works, bringing an antinomianism and libertinism in life. Hereon it must of necessity be destructive of salvation in those who believe it, and conform their practice thereunto. And those, on the other hand, by whom it is believed, seeing they judge it impossible that any man should be justified before God any other way but by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Do accordingly judge that without it none can be saved. Hence, a learned man of late concludes his discourse concerning it. Non-English words, Thus far of the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, without which no man was ever saved, nor can any so be." They do not think nor judge that all those are excluded from salvation who cannot apprehend or do deny the doctrine of the imputation of the righteousness of Christ as by them declared. But they judge that they are so unto whom that righteousness is not really imputed. Nor can they do otherwise, whilst they make it the foundation of all their own acceptation with God and eternal salvation. These things greatly differ. To believe the doctrine of it, or not to believe it, as thus or thus explained, is one thing. And to enjoy the thing, or not enjoy it, is another. I no way doubt, but that many men do receive more grace from God than they understand or will own and have a greater efficacy of it in them than they will believe. Men may be really saved by that grace, which doctrinally they do deny, and they may be justified by that imputation of that righteousness, which, in opinion, they deny to be imputed. For the faith of it, it is included in that general assent, which they give unto the truth of the gospel, and such an adherence unto Christ may ensue thereon, as that their mistake of the way whereby they are saved by him shall not defraud them of a real interest therein. And for my part, I must say that, notwithstanding all the disputes that I see and read about justification, some whereof are full of offense and scandal, I do not believe but that the authors of them, if they be not Sicinians throughout denying the whole merit and satisfaction of Christ, do really trust unto the mediation of Christ for the pardon of their sins and acceptance with God, and not unto their own works or obedience. Nor will I believe the contrary until they expressly declare it. Of the objection, on the other hand, concerning the danger of the doctrine of the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, in reference unto the necessity of holiness and works of righteousness, we must treat afterwards. The judgment of the Reformed Churches herein is known unto all, and must be confessed, unless we intend, by vain cavals, to increase and perpetuate contentions. Especially the Church of England is in her doctrine expressed as unto the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, both active and passive, as it is usually distinguished. This has been of late so fully manifested out of her authentic writings, that is, the articles of religion, and books of homilies and other writings publicly authorized, that it is altogether needless to give any farther demonstration of it. Those who pretend themselves to be otherwise minded are such as I will not contend with all. For to what purpose is it to dispute with men who will deny the sun to shine, when they cannot bear the heat of its beams? Wherefore, in what I have to offer on this subject, I shall not in the least depart from the ancient doctrine of the Church of England. Yea, I have no design but to declare and vindicate it, as God shall enable. There are indeed sundry differences among persons learned, sober, and orthodox, if that term displease not, in the way and manner of the explication of the doctrine of justification by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ who yet all of them agree in the substance of it. In all those things wherein the grace of God, the honor of Christ, and the peace of the souls of men are principally concerned. As far as it is possible for me, I shall avoid the concerning of myself at the present in these differences. For unto what purpose is it to contend about them, whilst the substance of the doctrine itself is openly opposed and rejected? Why should we debate? about the order and beautifying of the rooms in a house, whilst the fire is set unto the whole. When that is well quenched, we may return to the consideration of the best means for the disposal and use of the civil parts of it. There are two grand parties by whom the doctrine of justification by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ is opposed, namely the Papists and the Socinians but they proceed on different principles and unto different ends. The design of the one is to exalt their own merits, of the other, to destroy the merit of Christ. But besides these who trade in company, we have many interlopers who, coming in on their hand, do make bold to borrow from both, as they see occasion. We shall have to do with them all in our progress not with the persons of any, nor the way and manner of their expressing themselves, but the opinions of all of them, so far as they are opposite unto truth. For it is that which wise men despise, and good men bewail, to see persons pretending unto religion and piety, to cavil at expressions, to contend about words, to endeavor the fastening of opinions on men which they own not, And thereunto mutually do revile one another, publishing all to the world as some great achievement or victory. This is not the way to teach the truth of the gospel, nor to promote the edification of the church. But, in general, the importance of the cause to be pleaded, the greatness of the opposition that is made unto truth, and the high concernment of the souls of believers to be rightly instructed in it, do call for a renewed declaration and vindication of it. And what shall I attempt unto this purpose? I do it under this persuasion, that the life and continuance of any church on the one hand, and its apostasy or ruin on the other, do depend in an imminent manner on the preservation or rejection of the truth in this article, ...of religion, and I shall add, as it has been professed, received, and believed in the Church of England in former days. The first thing we are to consider is the meaning of these words, to impute and imputation. For from a mere plain declaration hereof, it will appear that sundry things charged on the supposition of the imputation we plead for are vain and groundless, or the charge itself is so. Kasab, The word first used to this purpose signifies to think, to esteem, to judge, or to refer a thing or matter unto any. To impute, or to be imputed for good or evil. See Leviticus chapter 7 verse 18 and chapter 17 verse 4. And Psalms 106 verse 31, non-English words. And it was counted, reckoned, imputed unto him for righteousness, to judge or esteem this or that, good or evil, to belong unto him, to be his. The Septuagint express it by Logidzo. Footnote. Logidzo is never used either in the Septuagint or in purer Greek. We have allowed the passage to stand as written by Owen. Editor and footnote. And Lagidamai, as do the writers of the New Testament also. And these are rendered by Reputar, Imputar, Acceptum Phara, assignar," Assigniar, Ascribir. And there is a different signification among these words. In particular, to be reputed righteous, and to have righteousness imputed. Differ as cause and effect. For that any may be reputed righteous, that is, be judged or esteemed so to be, there must be a real foundation of that reputation. Or, it is a mistake, and not a right judgment. As a man may be reputed to be wise, who is a fool, or reputed to be rich, who is a beggar. Wherefore, He that is reputed righteous must either have a righteousness of his own or another antecedently imputed unto him. That's the foundation of that reputation. Wherefore, to impute righteousness unto one that has none of his own is not to repute him to be righteous, who is indeed unrighteous. But it is to communicate a righteousness unto him that he may be rightly and justly esteemed, judged, or reputed righteous. Imputar is a word that the Latin tongue owns in the sense wherein it is used by divines. Non-English words. In his apology for the earth or our common parent. Non-English words. In this sense, to impute anything unto another is if to be evil, to charge it unto him, to burden him with it. So says Pliny, we impute our own faults to the earth, or charge them upon it. If it be good, it is to ascribe it unto him as his own, whether originally it were so or no. Non-English Words attempts the sense of the word, but confounds it with reputar. Non-English Words This is reputar properly. Imputar includes an act antecedent unto this accounting or esteeming a thing to belong unto any person. But whereas that may be imputed unto us, which is really our own antecedently unto that imputation, the word must needs have a double sense, as it has in the instance given out of our Latin authors now mentioned. And, number one, To impute unto us that which was really ours antecedently unto that imputation includes two things in it. Parentheses number one. An acknowledgement or judgment that the thing so imputed is really and truly ours or in us. He that imputes wisdom or learning unto any man does in the first place acknowledge him to be wise or learned. Parentheses number two a dealing with them according unto it, whether it be good or evil. So, when upon a trial a man is acquitted because he is found righteous, first, he is judged and esteemed righteous, and then dealt with as a righteous person. His righteousness is imputed unto him. See this exemplified, Genesis chapter 30, verse 33. Number two. To impute unto us that which is not our own antecedently unto that imputation includes also in it two things. Parentheses number one. A grant or donation of the thing itself unto us to be ours on some just ground and foundation. For a thing must be made ours before we can justly be dealt with all according unto what is required on account of it. Parentheses number two. "...a will of dealing with us, or in actual dealing with us, according unto that which is so made ours. For in this manner whereof we treat, the most holy and righteous God does not justify any, that is, absolve them from sin, pronounce them righteous, and thereon grant unto them right and title unto eternal life, but upon the interveniency of a true and complete righteousness truly and completely made the righteousness of them that are to be justified in order of nature antecedently unto their justification. But these things will be yet made more clear by instances, and it is necessary they should so be. Parentheses number one. There is an imputation unto us of that which is really our own, inerrant in us, performed by us, antecedently unto that imputation and this whether it be evil or good the rule in nature hereof is given and expressed Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him instances we have of both sorts first in the imputation of sin when the person guilty of it is so judged and reckoned a sinner as to be dealt with accordingly. This imputation, Shimei, depreciated Second Samuel chapter 19, verse 19. He said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity unto me. The word used in the expression of the imputation of righteousness, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely, for thy servant doth know that I have sinned. He was guilty, and acknowledged his guilt, but depreciates the imputation of it in such a sentence concerning him as his sin deserved. So Stephen depreciated the imputation of sin unto them that stoned him, whereof they really were guilty. Acts chapter seven verse sixty. Lay not this sin to their charge. Impute it not unto them. As, on the other side, Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, who died in the same cause, in the same kind of death with Stephen, prayed that the sin of those which slew him might be charged on them. Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 22. Wherefore, to impute is to lay it unto the charge of any and to deal with them according unto its desert to impute that which is good unto any is to judge and acknowledge it so to be theirs and thereon to deal with them in whom it is according unto its respect unto the law of God the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him so Jacob provided that his righteousness should answer for him Genesis chapter 30, verse 33. And we have an instant of it in God's dealing with men. Psalms 106, verse 30 and 31. Then stood up Phineas and executed judgment, and that was counted unto him for righteousness. Notwithstanding, it seemed that he had not sufficient warrant for what he did. Yet God, that knew his heart and what guidance of his own spirit he was under, approved his act as righteous and gave him a reward, testifying that approbation. Concerning this imputation, it must be observed that whatever is our own antecedent lead thereunto, which is an act of God thereon, can never be imputed unto us for anything more or less than what it really is in itself. For this imputation consists of two parts, or two things concurred thereunto. First, a judgment of the thing to be ours, to be in us, or to belong unto us. Secondly, a will of dealing with us, or an actual dealing with us, according unto it. Wherefore, in the imputation of anything unto us which is ours, God esteems it not to be other than it is. He does not esteem that to be a perfect righteousness, which is imperfect. So to do might argue either a mistake of the thing judged on, or perverseness in the judgment itself upon it. Wherefore, If, as some say, our own faith and obedience are imputed unto us for righteousness, seeing they are imperfect, they must be imputed unto us for an imperfect righteousness, and not for that which is perfect. For that judgment of God which is according unto truth is in this imputation. And the imputation of an imperfect righteousness unto us, esteeming it only as such, will stand us in little stead, In this matter. And the acceptation which some plead. Transducing a fiction in human laws. To interpret the mystery of the gospel. Does not overthrow all imputation. But the satisfaction and merit of Christ also. And it must be observed. That this imputation is an act of justice. Without any mixture of grace. As the apostle declares. Romans chapter 11 verse 6. For it consists of these two parts. First and acknowledging and judging that to be in us which is truly so. Secondly, a will of dealing with us according unto it, both which are acts of justice. Parentheses number two. The imputation unto us of that which is not our own antecedently unto that imputation, at least not in the same manner as it is afterwards, is various also, as unto the grounds and causes that it proceeds upon. Only it must be observed that no imputation of this kind is to account them unto whom anything is imputed to have done the things themselves which are imputed unto them, that were not to impute, but to err in judgment, and indeed to utterly overthrow the whole nature of gracious imputation." But it is to make that to be ours by imputation which was not ours before. Unto all the ends and purposes whereunto it would have served if it had not been our own without any such imputation. It is therefore a manifest mistake of their own which some make the ground of a charge on the doctrine of imputation. For they say, if our sins were imputed unto Christ then must he be esteemed to have done what we have done amiss, and so be the greatest sinner that ever was. And on the other side, if his righteousness be imputed unto us, then we are esteemed to have done what he did, and so to stand in no need of the pardon of sin. But this is contrary unto the nature of imputation, which proceeds on no such judgment. But on the contrary, that we ourselves have done nothing of what is imputed unto us, nor Christ anything of what was imputed unto him. To declare more distinctly the nature of this imputation, I shall consider the several kinds of it, or rather the several grounds whence it proceeds. For this imputation unto us, of what is not our own antecedent unto that imputation, may be either, number one, ex justitia, or number two, ex voluntaria spontion, or number three, ex injuria, or number four, ex gratia, all which shall be exemplified. I, I do not place them thus distinctly, as if they might not, some of them, concur in the same imputation, which I shall manifest that they do. But I shall refer the several kinds of imputation unto that which is the next cause of everyone. Number one, things that are not our own originally, personally, inherently, may yet be imputed unto us, ex justitia, by the rule of righteousness. And this may be done upon a double relation unto those whose they are. Parenthesis number one, federal. Parenthesis number two, natural. Parentheses number one, things done by one may be imputed unto others, non-English words, because of a covenant relationship between them. So, the sin of Adam was and is imputed unto all his posterity, as we shall afterward more fully declare. And the ground hereof is that we stood all in the same covenant with him, who was our head and representative therein the corruption and deprivation of nature which we derive from Adam was imputed unto us with the first kind of imputation, namely, of that which is ours antecedently unto that imputation. But his actual sin is imputed unto us as that which becomes ours by that imputation, which before it was not. Hence, says Bellarmine himself, not English words, quote, The sin of Adam is so imputed unto all his posterity as if they had all committed the same sin. And he gives us herein the true nature of imputation which he fiercely disputes against in his books on justification. For the imputation of that sin unto us as if we had committed it, which he acknowledges, includes both a transcription of that sin unto us and a dealing with us as if we had committed it, which is the doctrine of the Apostle, Romans chapter 5. Parentheses number two. There is an imputation of sin unto others, non English words, on the account of a natural relation between them and those who had actually contracted the guilt of it. But this is so only with respect unto some outward temporary effects of it. So God speaks concerning the children of the rebellious Israelites in the wilderness. Your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms. Numbers chapter 14, verse 33. Your sin shall be so far imputed unto your children because of their relation unto you and your interest in them as that they shall suffer for them in an afflictive condition in the wilderness. And this was just because of the relation between them, as the same procedure of divine justice is frequently declared in other places of the Scripture. So, where there is a due foundation of it, imputation is an act of justice. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources as well as our complete mail order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero three seven three zero by fax at seven eight zero four six eight one zero nine six or by mail at 4710 four seven one zero dash three seven A Avenue Edmonton AB Canada T six L three T five If you do not have a web connection please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to abb at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc. that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter twenty six, verse three states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And second Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse eleven concludes Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.